following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. Let's go ahead and read our scripture this morning. Two readings this morning. The first one coming from the book of Matthew. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40, the story of Philip on the road. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. The spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, and whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azostas, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. There are a couple different stories I want to I get us going with this morning. Multiple introductions, if you will. We've worked our way through these ideas of being disciples, of walking together following Jesus. We said a disciple is someone who trusts the promises of Jesus and seeks to follow him. It's a life of trusting, seeking, and following. But here's the thing, it's not about just trusting, seeking, and following on Sundays or at church events or when you're sitting down and reading a book together. This is about almost breathing about how do we make trusting, seeking, and following Jesus a second nature kind of thing because our life will be trying to learn what that's like. So I want to give you a couple of stories of how I've seen this happen. The first is a personal one. I grew up um, and wanted to be a few different things. I never really bounced around too much. It was three things. I wanted to be a fighter pilot. Obviously, that didn't work out. I want to be a dolphin trainer because, you know, same thing, right? 
but you could spend all your day in the water training dolphins, the dogs of the sea, right? How great would that be? And then third, I wanted to be a pastor. Real, like, real narrow scope there of, like, what I wanted to be, right? Just very similar things. But as I grew up and realized, oh, like, fighter pilot and dolphin trainer take a lot of math and science, and I started realizing I'm a lot better at English and history than I am at math and science, it started kind of leading that way. And especially as someone that, like, in terms of, like, spiritual gifting, what I've got is, like, speaking loudly in front of people and quick recall. So the Lord was like, yeah, we're, we're going to put you in rooms in front of people so you can preach. And, like, that way, like, they won't be annoyed because they're there to hear you preach. And you're not just, like, preaching at them. Like, they expect that to be happening. But it was interesting when I was going through this and, and getting ready to go to seminary, I was talking with my mom. And my dad's a pastor as well. So I'm talking with my mom saying, yeah, it's, you know, I, I feel good about this and I'm feeling great. And, and this happened to be, it was actually in seminary. I was sharing a story with her about a buddy of mine who had come um, to hear me preach. My buddy Doug, great guy. But as, as a a seminarian, it is rare that you're preaching in front of other people. Number one, because you're bad at it. Uh, number two, because you do field work at a church. I was in St. Louis, so our seminary, I did field work at a church uh, in the county. So there's a city in the county of St. Louis, and I was out in South County. So they had me um, preaching on a midweek Lenten service, so a Wednesday night. My buddy Doug, I don't know what got into him, but he came with Chelsea and they came, and uh, one of the things seminary pushes is how to preach without notes. And for me, that can be like a blessing and a curse, a blessing because that's kind of how I function, but a curse because a lot of guys, what they do is they write a full manuscript, and then they memorize it. Well, if you notice sometimes me heading down rabbit trails, that's just because my brain starts firing in that direction, and I have to bring it back. I've gotten better at not following those things, but especially early on, that's where I was. But my buddy Doug came, and Doug is just a very uh, engaging guy, very charismatic. But I preached, and when I got done, he came up to me and goes, dude, how did you do that without notes? And I was like, how do you do it with notes? Like, that, that throws me off. I can't, I can't lock in. I, like, I just get it. And I was telling this story to my mom, and she goes, well, Part of that is your dad started training you as a pastor in sixth grade. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, he took a very concerted effort to start teaching you how to be a pastor when you got in middle school. And it was like, you know, when like the scales fall from your eyes and something that was like right in front of you shows up. I'm like, that's why he always took me places. Like places he's like, hey, do you want to go to the hospital with me? I was like, not really. He's like, too bad, get in. That's why he would bring me with him when he was rehearsing his sermon and he would stop and tell me, listen, this is one memory method I use. I memorize places in the sanctuary and I know my point when I look at the exit sign is this and my point when I look at this is this and all these things. I don't use that, but I used to and it helped me learn to memorize. My dad was investing discipleship time with me even when I didn't realize it. 
he invested time in training me, even when I wasn't paying attention to it. Discipleship, everyday discipleship, is about reading that verse from Matthew that we read today. The Great Commission. And when Jesus says, as you are going... It's not about saying, okay, I've set up this little square over here, and this is my discipleship square where I am discipled or I disciple other people. Here it is, and then I leave. No, it's about as you live, you disciple others. It's about teaching others what you know. And as we talk about discipleship, it's about teaching others what you know about the faith. But it is an everyday kind of thing that happens so that somewhere down the road someone's going to go, oh my gosh, that person was discipling me. I didn't even realize it. Now let me give you another example of everyday discipleship. The first baptism I did as pastor of Narrative Church had nothing to do with me. I just showed up and I was the guy. But it was Ashley Zock. And Ashley, when she got here, uh, she and John, John will be here back next week preaching, um, they were our first call after our family when we found out we were going to be planting a church here. And Chelsea and I got on speakerphone with them and said, we want you to come do this with us. By the way, we have no idea how we're going to pay you but we want you to come do this with us. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they said, hey, we're there. So Ashley was big into theater, so she started acting at the Palace Theater in Georgetown, and she started getting some roles. So as she is rehearsing through the week, putting in the time for this show that she was doing, I think at that point it was Young Frankenstein, I think it was her first show she was in, she got to meet some people who were the front of house people at the theater. She just spent time with them during rehearsal, just talking. Well, one of them was this guy who had questions about God, and when he found out Ashley was a Christian, she just started, they started building a relationship and talking just while at rehearsals until Ashley called me up and she goes, hey, I want you to meet this guy. I was like, I'm down. Let's have hamburgers. I'm definitely down. So we went to Hat Creek in Georgetown. I sat across as we talked about God and what he was about and all of these things to the point where this guy said, listen, I pray for my girlfriend and her kids, but I don't pray for me because I know what I've done. I know God can't love me, and I've, I've come to peace with that. I got to sit across the table from this guy and go, hey, do you know the story of the prodigal son? And he goes, no, what's that? My, like, lifetime Christian kid learned the story of the prodigal son at five years old. My brain exploded. And I was like, Lord, you told this story for this man specifically. Like, the rest of us, yeah, we kind of get it. But you told this parable so someday I could look across the table, tell him the parable, and be like, listen, Jesus wants you no matter what. And a month later, 
after one of the shows, Ashley and myself and this guy and his girlfriend went down to the Blue Hole in October, which was a little bit foolish, and walked into the river, and I almost ate it on the way in. And while we were freezing in the river with three people who were there to support him, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I put him under that water, and he came up a new man. And I don't know how to explain that except the Holy Spirit. A couple months later, he and then his fiance they moved up to Colorado. I haven't heard from him. I know Ashley keeps in touch with him. He never came to narrative. But if Ashley hadn't spent time where she was, in the Palace Theater, just listening to the story of someone else, we never would have done that baptism. Discipleship is a living out of our faith in everyday ways. We've spent the last four weeks looking and talking about how that works. It's about trusting, it's about seeking, it's about following, but it's about doing those things in the everyday places where we are. You don't have to go someplace far away to be a disciple. You don't have to run away to the wilderness. You don't have to go on a retreat. You can start, you don't even have to wait till tomorrow. You can start right now. Because God is calling us to follow him. God is calling us and has already called us to the places we are. The theological term we use for that is vocation. The places and things you do is where the Lord has called you. Whether you are a friend, a brother, a sister, a husband, a wife, a teacher, a student, a you know, welder, anything in between. Whatever you do, the Lord has called you to that place. Sometimes we get so stuck in this idea of looking and saying, Lord, where am I supposed to go? We don't realize he has already put us in the place where we are. And so for us, discipleship is about living where we are, trusting, seeking, and following. Parents, it means as you raise your kids and look at them, you say, how do I help them trust, seek, and follow? And listen, I told you stories of my parents that were good. They were not perfect. My mom's big thing, she went through uh, this thing called grace groups, and um, in grace groups you talk a lot about, you know, past hurts and feelings, and the big word they used was wounds. And so every once in a while, you know, as an adult, mom and I will be talking about something, and she'll go, I wounded you, didn't I? And I was like, yes. 100%. I'm the middle child. I have the most wounds. Matt didn't even look up from that. I was hoping for a little. Sometimes we get stuck in this idea of I have to be perfect. I have to do this perfectly. I have to disciple others perfectly. Listen, 
you're never going to be perfect at it. Let's throw that away right now. The idea is not that you're perfect, it's that you go and do it. It's about saying, how am I being discipled and how am I seeking to disciple others? How am I looking at my life and saying, how am I loving God and loving others? How are you doing that in the places you already are, in your vocations, in those places where you live, work, and play? This week, I tried to slow down just a little bit and say, what would it look like for me to live my week trusting, seeking, and following? So I made a checklist. And it was great for two days. (laughs) But you know what? That was two days better than the week before. Being focused on those things. I'm trying to live my life more and more about not saying, how did I fail? But instead saying, okay, if I didn't do what I wanted to do, if I fell back, what did I learn? How am I going to implement that better? Last night about 6.45, I said, all right, it's still light enough I can mow the lawn. Right, you know that thing that you said, I'm going to do that at 9 a.m. So I pulled the mower out. Luckily, the, the backyard was okay. Just The front had just gone bananas. So I go out and I'm mowing the lawn. And I look across and I have neighbors just out with their kids playing. I just spent some time mowing the lawn, praying for those neighbors. And I realized to myself as I was pushing that, if I had not preached on prayer two weeks ago, I don't know if I would have been thinking enough to do that. And it wasn't the whole time I mowed. It was for about, you know, three back and forths, you know. But that was better than last week. Discipleship is not the story of how we ran a sprint. It's the story of how we hiked the trail. Discipleship is not about seeing the mountain and going, I'm going to get to that mountaintop. Because let me tell you, when you get to that mountaintop, it's great. But you know what happens right after that? You come down the mountain. I think as people of faith in our country, sometimes we chase that quick gratification, that high that says, hey, I made it to the mountaintop. Look how great this is. And then what we want to do is we want to like have some kind of like anti-grav boots and just skip the valleys and go from mountaintop to mountaintop, right? We want to live the Instagram faith life where everything's good and nothing's going wrong. But when you look at discipleship and a life of discipleship, it is much less a straight line and more up to the mountaintop, back into the valley. Jesus even says it when he's on the Mount of Transfiguration, and I love his disciples at that point because that would have been me. They're like, this is it. We made it. Let's build tents here. Let's just stay. And what I love about that is they're, like, there's only a couple of them. Like There's still more disciples down the mountain. And they're like, ah, you know, forget those guys. We made it. We're here. Build the tents. And Jesus looks at them and goes, no. We've got to go back down the mountain. Our faith is one that is lived as 
deeply on mountaintops as it is in valleys. And in fact, it is as deeply lived in valleys as it is middle of the mountain. How many of you have hiked a mountain before? Bo? I have hiked a couple of mountains in my day. And let me tell you, I am not the speed person in the hiking mountain group. I'm the person at the end that gets to the front, and the front people are like, finally, the tail person's here. And they go, and I'm like, are we going to rest a little more here? But as we look in terms of that, in terms of discipleship as a lifelong journey going through the mountains, it is about every day. It's about saying sometimes we are going to rejoice because we're going to get to the top and we're going to look back and say, look at how far we've come. Look at where we were and look at where we are now. And you know what? Some days you're going to be in a valley in the woods and all you're going to be able to see is the next tree. And you're going to start asking myself, what? is that the same tree as before? You're going to get turned around and lost. But we trust, we seek, and we follow because we know there will be days everywhere in between. That the joy that we have is that God walks with us in all of those times. And the reason we call it walking together is because sometimes when we have wandered off the path, we need the friend who's going to grab us and pull us back. We need the brother or sister in Christ who's either going to gently say, hey, listen, the trail's over here. Because sometimes we get lost and it's just, it just happens, right? We get lost and we get worried and we get fearful and we need someone to come alongside and say, listen, it's going to be okay. Come on back, the trail's over here. We're going to have to you know, bushwhack for a minute, but we'll make it. And then there are times where we willingly have looked and gone, that's a shortcut. And I know it's a shortcut. I'm going to take that shortcut. And the Lord's like, I want to do that. And we go, I hear you, Lord, but I know better. And so we go full bore into the shortcut, and all of a sudden we're hanging off a cliff. And we need that brother or sister in Christ who comes along and goes, you're an idiot, huh? And we go, yep. Or even worse, we're hanging off the cliff, and we're still saying, no, my way's better. And then we need the brother and sister in Christ who goes, you are an idiot. There's no question mark. You need to come back. The Lord's calling. Are you going to listen? We walk together in this. Because the life of discipleship, there are people further down the trail. There are people with us and there are people behind us. But the goal is not that we finish first. It's that we finish together. It's that we are all walking down this trail. And that happens wherever you are. That happens at work. That happens at home. That happens when you're getting a burger. I picked up a time this week when I realized my discipleship was out of whack. We have a lot of people in our neighborhood who want to sell us solar. And they come and knock on the door selling solar. Well, now what they've decided to do 
is in some training somewhere they've been taught, number one, don't ring doorbells because now doorbells have cameras and people can see you and they won't answer the door. And hey, if you knock in a fashion that doesn't sound like someone you don't know, like, hey, maybe they'll think it's someone. They know. So I get this knock. And I'm like, I was just finishing up in the bathroom. I know Chelsea's somewhere, but I don't know where. I think she's getting ready for dinner. And I didn't check the doorbell cam. So I ran down because I thought, oh, maybe it's, you know, my brother, my sister-in-law, my in-laws, you know, they're all in the area. Maybe they just stopped by. So I run down, open the door, and here are two ladies selling solar. And I'll tell you what, my inner peace disappeared. Because <laughs> for me, I, number one, I don't like getting tricked. And this was the second time. Like I knew better. Some solar guy had done this a couple weeks before. So I decide, you know, I calm the dog down, I step outside, I close the door, and they start going, hey, we're with Momentum Solar. I'm like, yes, I see it on your shirts. And then I go, can I share with you something? I don't know if you did this in a training or what it was that they're teaching you to do this knock that sounds like it's someone I know, but it is very frustrating. Because you know what time of night it is right now. It is 6.30, it is dinner time. And you know that you're knocking so that it feels like I'm someone there, that someone's at the door that I know. And that's really frustrating. And the second woman who I think was probably the supervisor and they had the trainer, because the, the lady who looked like she was training, like her eyes start getting real big. And the second lady is on her phone and she just looks up at me and goes, we weren't trained to do this. And it took everything in me to not say a curse word and be like, this is the third time this has happened. Y'all are being trained to do this. And I was like, I know you're here to sell me something. And she goes, no, we're actually here to ask you about. And she starts going into her spiel. I'm like, did you miss five, like five seconds ago when I said, hey, this is really frustrating to me. And she's like, well, we're with this solar company. Do you know about this thing? And I'm like, I, listen, you're not out here with a corporation on your shirt to let me know some good news about great things. You want me to take out a loan to put solar on my roof. I've done the research. And I just keep getting more and more frustrated. Until finally I look at them and I say, don't come back here. Please do not knock like that again. And I start turning around and the poor woman who's training looks at me and every one of them do this. And this is when I know it's like actually something from them they go, I really like your Harry Potter sign for your door. We live on at 312 Potter's Peak Way. Internet, don't get me on that. But we live on Potter's Peak Way, right? So my mother-in-law gave us this great sign that someone made on Etsy that has like the Harry Potter font. It's, it's fun, it's great. And this woman goes, I love Harry Potter. I just think that's a cool sign. And immediately the Lord was like, hey, remember discipleship? that every person you meet might need someone who needs to, you know, know and love me. And I go, thanks for that. And I turn, shut the door, they walk away. I know they're out of earshot. And I look at Chelsea and go, I botched that. Now we were on the safe way in blank. She goes, no, you didn't. Next time let's take the water hose. She didn't say that, that was comedy. 
Remember when I said earlier, all I'm good at is talking loudly and quick recall? I saw the joke, I took it. But we start talking, Chelsea and I, and I realize what I'm going to start doing. When people show up at the door and knock, I'm going to take that as an invitation that the Lord's got someone on my doorstep that I need to talk to. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go, listen, you've got three minutes to give me your spiel. But in return, I get to give you three minutes about Jesus. And I realized, like, their deal is to give the spiel. I'm going to just start sharing Jesus with every person that comes to my door. Because their response was, you should put up a no solicitation sign. I'm like, how well do those work? But I started realizing, what if I stopped looking at this opportunity if someone just frustrating me and started saying, Lord, you have brought someone to my doorstep. Because you see, the funny thing was the next day I started writing my sermon, and here we get Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. That Philip in this like just very in touch with the spirit, the spirit goes, hey, go to this road. Oh, by the way, it's in the desert. Have fun. So he goes out there. He sees a guy who does not look Jewish. This is an Ethiopian. So he's going to look different than the Jews who are there to worship. So he looks different, but he's reading the scripture. And Philip goes, that's strange, and walks up and goes, hey, what are you reading? I don't want us to read Bible stories absent the idea that this really happened. How weird is it that Philip sees a dude reading scripture and just like, Moses on up, and he's in his chariot, right? He's in, he's in the car, and Philip comes up and goes, hey, what are you reading? And if this isn't a Holy Spirit, the guy goes, well, this thing from Isaiah. Do you want to get in the chariot with me, stranger who I haven't met before on this desert road? And so Philip starts explaining, hey, listen, who this is talking about that you asked and you said, who is this talking about? This is this guy named Jesus. Let me tell you about him. To the point where not Philip, but the dude, the Ethiopian eunuch, looks and goes, hey, there's a stream. Can you baptize me? Listen, as a pastor, that's like quit level. Like, I made it. I told someone, saw someone reading something, told them about who Jesus was. They looked over and saw, you know, a ditch, and they said, can I go there and be baptized? Let's do it. Like, that's, I made it. That's MJ level of pastoring. That's Michael Jordan for you younger kids. So, Philip does this, but the story here, I think, that is so key for us, is he just wakes up and lives as a disciple. He goes out to this road, and he stands there. And he sees a guy reading, he sees an opportunity and says, the Spirit's put me here. But you see, that's because he's been discipled up to this point that he's walked along with these people who know Jesus. He knows the story. So he sits just with this guy and tells him who Jesus is to the point that the Holy Spirit works on the Ethiopian's heart and says, can I be baptized right now? And Philip goes, let's do it. And I love that there's then this point where it's like, and then the spirit carried Philip away, which we think of as like this magical thing. I just think the Ethiopian might have been like, hey, I gotta go. And Philip was like, all right, safe travels. And the spirit took, you know, took Philip somewhere else. It may not be as like supernatural as like, he's gone. I think it was just like, hey, we parted ways. The spirit took him somewhere else. 
took him down to on the way to Caesarea to keep preaching and teaching. This life of discipleship is about trusting what Jesus has told us. It's about looking and saying, he has given to me this thing, this salvation that cannot be taken away. It's about seeking him where he may be found in his word with other Christians together in the Sunday gathering. And then it's about following him as we go. And listen, we're going to fail. And when we do, we don't wallow in self-pity. We don't wonder what's next. We return to the promises of Jesus. And we say, I trust those promises. And I come back to where he's going. The Lord has called each and every one of you to where you are. To your neighborhoods, to your families, to your places of work, to the places you go to school, to the places you or your kids play sports. He has called you to those places. And maybe just for one person. The reason I want to get this book in your hand is because for me, I wanted to figure out and write down what does that mean for daily life? I wrote this book as much for me as I did for other people. Because I see the power for us as a church to say, we are a church that on Sunday we gather and the rest of the week we may be scattered to different places, but the Lord has put us in those places. And our power may not be in that we can throw the best servants events or the best Halloween parties or, you know, all these things with bounce houses or, you know, food trucks and all those things, but it's that on Tuesday night you have a glass of wine with your next door neighbor. Or on a Saturday morning at the soccer fields, you're able to listen to a fellow parent who's struggling through something and be who Jesus needs you to be there. That you would listen for the callings of the Holy Spirit when he says, this is where I'm taking you. You'd say, okay, let's go. And you would respond as Philip to say, I'm gonna keep my eyes open and I'm gonna look. There are people God has placed in your life to disciple you and for you to disciple. And it's a lifelong journey and it's every day. Let's pray. Lord, teach us to follow you. Teach us to be your people. Open our eyes to see where you're calling. Let us trust, seek, and follow you. In your son Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.